Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Well, first week of the year, almost gone. It's Friday. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond, and uh, glad to have you here during this hour of spiritual direction on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And if you live somewhere in the northern half of the U.S., how is winter going for you? Are you in your hibernation period yet? Uh, Cold winter months out there, uh, just hiding away, not seeing neighbors until spring finally comes around? When you think of somebody who's hiding away, maybe a recluse, who comes to mind? Do you think of somebody maybe like Howard Hughes, successful early in his life, very much in the public eye, but then he pulled away from the spotlight later in his life? Or maybe J.D. Salinger, that might be another name you think of when you think of somebody who hid away from the public. He's the famous author, of course, of The Catcher in the Rye. But after the success of that novel, became reclusive published very little else in his lifetime. Harper Lee, very similar, another author, um, maybe not as reclusive to the same degree as J.D. Salinger or Howard Hughes, but still hid away from the public after she wrote her bestseller, To Kill a Mockingbird, and avoided a lot of that public attention. Uh, Other names that might come to mind, people like Bobby Fischer, the chess grandmaster. Marlon Brando, to a degree, he did that. He's the famous actor, became more reclusive in his later years. Brian Wilson, even of the Beach Boys, dealt with all kinds of mental health issues to the point that he had to stop touring with the Beach Boys, eventually secluded himself in his home. But with all of those people, all of them, these individuals, they did something that drew attention to them early in their life. Each of them created something or they were involved in some venture that brought them Uh, to some degree, fame or notoriety. But can you think of a recluse who is famous now, but practically unknown during their own lifetime? Well, there was a girl who was born in Amherst, Massachusetts. She only lived to be 55 years old. Most people who knew her while she was alive, they just simply thought she was an eccentric. She never married. She lived most of her adult life in isolation, to the point that in her later years, She actually rarely left her bedroom, and any friendships that she maintained, they were almost exclusively dependent upon written correspondence. She wouldn't see anyone in person. Very rare. Now, if you're a fan of poetry, you might recognize that I am describing Emily Dickinson. Emily Dickinson is now world famous for the prolific writing that she accomplished during her lifetime. But while she was alive, she only had 10 poems that were ever published. Now, after her death, her sister, Lavinia, she discovered the massive number of poetry that Emily had written throughout her lifetime, almost 1,800 poems. To most people who knew Emily, she was just this quiet, unnoticed woman. But in reality, she was very active. She was writing. She was creating. 
No one really realized the work that she was doing. You know, I think sometimes the Holy Spirit can be like that. We don't realize that the Holy Spirit is at work, but very active, very active. It's the one who is active in the church for us right now. I don't know about you, but when it comes for me to try and imagine what God is like through the different ways that he's revealed himself, the Holy Spirit is that one person of the Trinity that doesn't come as well into focus for me. The image of the Father, that one's pretty easy because all of us have a biological father. Even if there's been, you know, a missing, an absent father, that role in our lives, we can at least picture that role. Even more so, Jesus, the Son, very easily imagined because he actually became human. But the Holy Spirit, by virtue of only ever being identified as a spirit, this non-corporeal person, the Holy Spirit can seem rather abstract. But the Holy Spirit, like I say, very, very active in the life of the church, in every believer's life. So how can we get to know the Holy Spirit better? How should we understand the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives? And how can we get this better image of who the Holy Spirit is, especially in how we pray? That's what we want to discuss today on The Inner Life. And joining us as our spiritual director today, Father Sam Martin is back with us once again. Father is a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. He's the pastor of Holy Name of Jesus Parish in Wausau, Wisconsin. Father, welcome to The Inner Life. Happy New Year. Glad to have you back here with us again. Oh, it's always good to be with you, Josh, and our listeners wherever they are. So it's a, a happy Holy Day, and what a great topic. Well, and today, talking about the Holy Spirit, has that been your experience, too? Easy to kind of picture the Father, easy to picture the Son, the Holy Spirit, maybe a bit more abstract as you try and understand who the Holy Spirit is? Or are are you way ahead of me on this? You just have it all figured out, Father. Well, at least for Catholics, I would say that most of us, yeah, it's the Holy Spirit comes last. Maybe in the yeah. charismatic movement or other, uh, you know, like the um, evangelicals or something, they they might get to him a little sooner. But uh, for most of us, it's it's Jesus. You know, we know not just about him, but we get to know him as a person that he's real and that he's powerful and that he loves me, and he's the one that directs my heart to the Father. That whoever sees Jesus sees the Father. And Philip and the others, I mean, they really struggle with that, but. You know, Jesus is consistent about that, so there can be a father wound in a lot of us, between us and our parents and different things, but that's where, you know, the God, the Father, is a, a healing presence. And uh, and then finally, you know, the the lover and the beloved, so God, the Father, loves the Son, who's the beloved, and so powerfully that there's this third person, the love itself, that is, um, you know, is, is between them. And I think that if we get to know the Holy Spirit, we most of us say it was later in life, and we had lots of different ways of coming uh, to his role, which I like the um, the setup here today, Josh. I mean, that uh, you know that much might be done, but in a very hidden way, in a silent way, in a way that is mysterious, and yet by the fruits you will know them. And so we want this um, Holy Spirit to, to really be the wind who drives the church. They used to, it was St. Thomas Aquinas, I said that, you know, baptism of the Lord is our feast this weekend, and Baptism puts you on the boat, the bark of Peter, and that, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, that she will survive until the end of the age in some form, in some fashion. So we're on the boat through baptism, but unless we're confirmed, unless we receive those gifts of the Holy Spirit, it's like being on a boat without a sail. And, uh, you know, Jesus, he describes the Holy Spirit as like the wind. You don't know where it comes from and where it's going. 
but it's a powerful force. And if you channel that, if you uh, tap into that, amazing, the kind of spiritual growth and the inspiration and the healing and the hope that the Holy Spirit gives. I, we all see the Holy Spirit in our own way, you know, but uh, and I think that it's, it's apt to point out that maybe we can envision the Father and the Son uh, you know, through what we call anthropomorphisms, you know, that they're divine persons. They don't look just like us. I mean, Jesus, through the incarnation, became one of us. So he had a face and a voice. He had a, 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 a fingerprint. I mean, he had all the things that are human. And we but see he, that expressed in art all the time, sure. Right. So again, very, very easy for us to imagine that. Yeah, it's just that when the Holy Spirit, I mean, it's it's hard to draw a picture of wind. I mean, fire you can pull right. off and, and the dove, but um, the dove. wind is uh, <laughs> one of those things that kind of uh, it eludes us. So I think that's where the invitation is. Uh, God, in his providence, sent his son, and the son wanted us to know the Father. But, of course, he, uh, he also says that many more things I'd like to tell you now, but you cannot bear them. And so I will t- send the Holy Spirit who will remind you of all these things. So they each have a really, you know, significant role, essential, indispensable. No one else could do the job that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit do, and that's for our salvation. So we need all of them, and if we're going to grow in our spiritual life, uh, the Holy Spirit is going to want to knock at the doors of our heart and say, let me in, let me help you, let me sanctify you, console you, comfort you, let me be what I am so that you might uh, follow with zeal and uh, enjoy and uh, courage, you know, really, it, in these days, we need courage. is probably um, the most important of the different gifts, maybe, of the Holy Spirit. You know, another thing that might be good for us to do, um, we say this every Sunday at Mass, we pray through the Nicene Creed, and there is, toward the end of the Creed, that section that talks about the Holy Spirit. We all say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and Son, and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. Can we maybe pick that apart just for a few minutes here to help us understand what we're actually saying when we pray that, when we recite that at Mass? Um, you know, the Lord, that one seems maybe pretty obvious, that is, making the Holy Spirit on the same level as the Father and the Son, but then we get that line, the giver of life. What, what do we mean when we talk about the Holy Spirit as the giver of life? That was an insight, I think, you know, St. Louis de Montfort about, um, you know, that the Holy Spirit, he overshadows the, the Virgin Mary, and Jesus is conceived. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the idea then he would go on to say is that when a soul is, is close to Mary, uh, the Holy Spirit recognizes her in us, and so he comes quickly and reproduces Christ in us. That St. Paul says, no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. So the Lord, the giver of life, if anyone conceives, I mean, if there's a new human being, uh, that, that in some part is because of the miracle of life, and uh, that life comes from, from God. And it seems that insofar as the incarnation, the Holy Spirit was uh, indispensable, so too for uh, all human beings, that he's the Lord, the giver of life. He's the one that, what is life? It's a miracle. We can see its effects when it goes away, that uh, things start to decompose. And But what is life? It's such a, a mystery to us, but we can tell immediately when it's gone. We cut a tree down or we see an animal die or, or worse, you know, like our loved ones go home to God and they give up their spirit. We even put it that way because something, someone, we would say, has left. And now there's this uh, corporeal body that carried around our soul, but it is dust, and to dust it must return. But the soul, uh, the spirit, is that comes from the Holy Spirit, who 
is that giver of life. So we experience that. You're a parent, Josh, and so the miracle of, of having a baby, uh, which so many times we live in a world that is afraid of life and so tries to control it, but we miss the miracle when a baby is conceived. I mean, people that understand this as a gift are those that struggle with infertility. They they can see it as, my God, I mean, do you know what a blessing it is to have a baby? And sometimes we forget. So uh, the giver of life, so like St. Louis de Montfort, if we have that devotion to Mary, uh, the Holy Spirit will produce Jesus in us. We'll start to be his hands, his feet, his voice, his, uh, his heart in the world, and uh, we'd all be better for that. Mm. Uh, let's look at the next line. It says that the, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. You alluded to this a little bit when you said the relationship between the Father and the Son is so real that it produces a third person. Can you talk a little about the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son? Yeah, it's uh, whatever love is, it's relational. So uh, I couldn't love if I was on a deserted island all by myself, no other living beings. I mean, I guess I could love you know, inanimate objects, but it wouldn't be reciprocal that love is to will the good of another, and it it tends to be mutual, that there's this um, give and take. And so that's why God, as a supreme being, there's a communion of persons, that love can't happen in a vacuum. It has to be given and received. And it's so potent, so powerful, that the Holy Spirit is that person in between. And these are things that, you know, kind of exceed our grasp. But sometimes maybe we experience that, you know, when we have a, a great friendship uh, or, you know, we're really in love with our spouse, and that's not every day, but those moments where we feel there's something so real, that's so powerful, it's, um, if not another person in the room, at least there's a kind of a presence that, that this is love, and, you know, that we begin to experience that, a foretaste of heaven, and, you know, we're so human that we many times we miss it, uh, caught up in our own affairs and our own fears and so forth, but uh, that... And this was the beginning of the end, I guess, in some sense, between the East and the West. But there were a lot of political things happening then, too. It wasn't merely a theological uh, understanding or misunderstanding, but that that there's an equality, too. I mean, that the Father and the Son, uh, it's just hard to describe. I mean, even now, when you say that, you've got to be really careful about maintaining the, the hierarchy, the sacred order, that the Father sends the Son, and together they send the Holy Spirit. There's an economy, there's a... There's a right way to do things, and God always does things the right way that he creates out of nothing. Uh, He sanctifies by forgiveness. He saves souls by dying and atoning for our sin. People will say, well, why did he do it that way? Because it was the best possible way. Could he have done it another way? I don't think so, because God can only be true to who he is. I mean, he can neither deceive nor be deceived. He can't be unfaithful to who he is, so he has to be who he is always. Now, Sadly, we can be you know, not true to ourselves, counterfeits and facades and, and wearing masks and so forth, we, but God can't. That's impossible for him. He always has to be what he is. So there's this economy, this hierarchy, and the, they used to talk about active and passive aspiration and all these things, and I, I, I don't think that I, I could get into it or understand it completely, but the idea, of course, is that love has to be between persons. I mean, it can't be, you know, this true love what it really is by its nature, uh, intrinsically and so forth. So, uh, you know, to say that I love my dog, uh, this is going to get me into on thin ice here because of what the Pope said the other day, but uh, <laughs> we can have affection for our pets, but right. it's not the same as, as agape, which has to be uh, the highest unconditional love that has to be reciprocal. Now, 
the thing about God and us is that this asymmetric reciprocity, they used to call it, that we can't love God, not the way he loves us, but he divinizes us, so we give to him what really was his anyway. And in doing so, it ennobles us, it lifts us up. It's is what St. Therese discovered, that I will be loved at the heart of the Church. It, she was worried that everybody else had a bigger soul, and, and she had a small soul, and she wasn't equal to the others, but then God showed that even if our soul was the size of a thimble, he just wants us to be full of his love. So it doesn't matter to God if our capacity is greater or less. I mean, he just wants us to receive, and having received, then we know how to give. So these are things that um, are worthy of our meditation. I mean, there's a lot here. Yeah. And, there, uh, there it, is. You know, it, as you're saying that too, Father, it also makes me think of, you know, can we love God perfectly the way he loves us? No, but we also see where after the resurrection, Jesus then goes and meets Peter, and the three times that he asks, do you love me? And I know in the Greek, he's asking, do you love me with a perfect love? And Peter responds, I love you like a brother, agape or agape and phileo, love. And finally, Jesus, the third time, he ends up saying, do you phileo me? Do you love me like a brother? And Jesus is willing to meet us where we are. Even though our love is imperfect, it's okay. I can work with that is essentially what what we get from Jesus. Beautiful sense of self-recognition. I mean, Peter has been uh, chastised. You know, he said he would even die with Jesus, but he wasn't able to not yet. But what we're going to see, the qualitative shift, is when the Holy Spirit comes. That these men, who, if people have watched the Chosen series, and it's one of the best elements, is their humanity, how how limited they were. I mean, how they bicker and they're petty and they uh, are quick to judge and, and all these things. that They're just so human, and that makes it very, uh, I think, you know, uh, it's very inspiring for us who feel that we are day late, dollar short. We don't have what it takes, but you know, like Mother Teresa always said, he doesn't call the sanctified, he sanctifies the ones that he calls. And so Peter now has been, you know, he has failed, uh, but in his humility he's acknowledging, I'll give you what I have. But then when the Holy Spirit comes, these men are changed, Mary Magdalene and the Blessed Mother, who had already received the Holy Spirit, of course, but something happens that, uh, it, you know, whatever one says about the early churches, it's really a shock that these men were very human. They showed nothing really all that heroic. Uh, they showed a lot of you know significant humanity. But then that they're willing to suffer and die for something that they they couldn't turn back. They something of God was in them now. Like the Lord cannot be unfaithful to who He is. These men and women, these first followers, they said, "I I would rather suffer and die than than to forsake my Lord, who you know gave His life so that I might have hope and as." open the gates of heaven now, and I want to be with him. And this changed the Roman Empire, changed the world. I mean, that people, that you could usually motivate people by threatening them, especially with death, but all of a sudden, I mean, the Romans had nothing they could do. It's like, these people keep dying, and they do it in a peaceful way. They're forgiving us, and it's, every time they do that, more of our own people are persuaded by it. we got to stop killing these people in public. Now, they'll tell us that nobody died in the Colosseum, and, uh, you know, revisionist history, but um, so the Holy Spirit changes them, and he wants to change us. That's what, I mean, we need courage. We need deep faith. The Lord is not giving up ever on us or this world or anyone in it, but we give up sometimes. We get sad, discouraged, and we've been through so much in these last couple of years, but it's a great invitation now to come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful. I need that fortitude. I need to be 
courageous. I need, you know, because it's faith that conquers fear. Perfect love casts out all fear, and that's what we need probably more than uh, any other time, at least in my lifetime. Talking today about the Holy Spirit, having a better understanding of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's role in our lives with our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin, a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. He's the pastor of Holy Name of Jesus Parish in Wausau, Wisconsin. What has helped you to have that better understanding of the way that the Holy Spirit works in your life, leading you in your prayer, in the way that you love God? When did you start praying to the Holy Spirit? When did you start relying on the Holy Spirit in your prayer time? And how did it change your prayer life? You can call in and share your story at 888-914-9149. Maybe you have a question about the Holy Spirit, something that is difficult for you to understand, and you'd like to ask Father Martin. Again, the phone line, 888-914-9149, You can also email us at innerlife at relevantradio.com, and we'll continue our conversation right after this on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com Forester. Talking about the Holy Spirit today here on The Inner Life. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond. Our spiritual director for the hour, Father Sam Martin, a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. How have you come to a better understanding of the Holy Spirit, third person of the Holy Trinity? Uh, How have you seen the Holy Spirit work in your life? How have you learned in uh, your life how to pray to the Holy Spirit or relying on the Holy Spirit in your prayer time? St. Paul talks about how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray. And how has the Holy Spirit helped you to grow in that communication, that dialogue with God? You can call in and share your story at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And uh, Father, I uh, want to talk also about some of the other titles that we hear assigned to the Holy Spirit, but let's go to the phones first. We've got Sister Elizabeth, who's calling in from Los Angeles. Hi, Sister. Welcome to The Inner Life. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Um, I wanted to say, I wanted to say that I grew in my relationship with the Holy Spirit in a special way after I learned about St. Ignatius' rules of discernment of spirits. And once I started taking time to reflect on what was from God and what was from myself or evil spirit, I became so aware of God in every aspect of my life. And this has been such a support for me when my feelings tell me that God is not with me that I am alone, I remember those times that I was aware of his presence. And this helps me to trust during those moments. So saying that, I I just wanted to say, I think that we should be teaching the rules of discernment at a younger age. Now, I've never heard of it being taught in the catechism program. Maybe it has been. But I think as children, we need to teach our children those rules in whatever way they're able to understand because when they get older a lot of times as as teenagers 
we don't always pay attention. <laughs> so I think getting that foundation of of that, the rules of discernment, will help them grow and be aware of the Holy Spirit and God's presence in their life. Well, it's a point well taken, Sister. Uh, I, too, I would say... Um... 2008, I made the uh, spiritual exercises, and I, I felt like I grew by leaps and bounds in my relationship with the Holy Spirit, and so it was St. Ignatius. And, um, you know, those rules of discernment, people say, well, what are those? It helps us, you know, to know what is of God, so we embrace that, and what is of the enemy of human nature, the devil, and so then we can reject that. And there are lots of ways that, um, you know, we can find our our path, you know, all day, every day, there are little decisions that we're making, choices that we're making, and we don't always think about our final end. Is this going to help me get to heaven someday? I don't think many of us live, uh, you know, with that remote end in mind as often as we could or should. But um, I think it's a point well taken, Sister. I just wonder, you know, like in my life, have I been good about teaching those things I talk, you know, like this weekend the baptism of the Lord is a chance you know, to go through the baptismal promises, which means renouncing Satan and his empty promises and helping people to to know, well, who is he? How does he work? Oh, a lot of deception and manipulation and uh, all sorts of pressure. He loves fear. He, you know, he's a, a fallen angel, and he's gotten very good at what he does. But uh, in the end, uh, he's just a bully on the playground, and we can identify, you know, some of the ways that he works so that we can more readily embrace the truth that will set us free and it will bring us joy. And uh, there's so many things that, um, you know, play in his favor, the devil's favor, it seems. You know, lots of things in social media and um, and so forth that can be really quite dangerous. And to teach our kids, you know, that things that make you feel bad about who you are, uh, that you're creating God's image and likeness, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and you're beautiful to him and to accept that dignity we struggle, all human beings, more or less. We really struggle with self-worth issues, you know, that do you love me, God? I mean, that's a, a constant wedge that the devil wants to, to drive between the father and his children, that how could he love me? I mean, there's just no way he couldn't, you know, really want me. He must be disappointed in me. And I think that we fight those battles on a regular basis. So, um, And as a little, uh, you know, uh, advertisement or anyway would be that Father Tim Gallagher, for my money anyway, his books about the discernment of spirits are as good as anything, and I think they're pretty accessible. Um, but you've given me something to think about, Sister, that, um, you know, just to, there are 14 rules, I think, uh, but you could go through one or two, and they really help us to navigate. I mean, I don't know about you, Sister, but in my life it's discernment all the time. You know, that people say, how do you run a parish? Well, the Holy Spirit, he knows how to run it. I, I hope that I listen and that I am docile because he doesn't need, you know, a whole bunch of things. to. He just needs a, a discerning heart, someone that lets him show the way. And he's unafraid and, um, you know, he's consistent and he's full of joy. He's the little motor, a little engine that could or whatever, you know, sometimes they characterize so... So, Sister, um, share any other thoughts that you have. I mean, anything that I've said or anything else that you'd like to share about how would you, I mean, if, if you're telling people, where would you start in teaching the discernment of spirits? Sister, do we still have you, Nick? 
Are you, can you hear me? Yeah, there you go. Go ahead, sister. Okay, You're on the air. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think it's really, I, I made it pretty simple. Once I learned the basic rules, but it's really taking the time to examine. Like, like they say, the examination of consciousness, where, where it's not always just looking what we're doing wrong, but it's starting your day. You know, taking at least once a day. As a religious, I do it twice a day. Like five, ten minutes. How, how has God been with me? And then you do see the things you did wrong, whether you were impatient with someone. or And then you bring that to God and say, I'm sorry, help me to be more patient. And I think through that, using these rules, though, um, what made it simple for me is, is this what maybe I'm discerning what to do or how to be uh, a decision to make? Will this bring me closer to God or will this lead me away? And I think as you as you do that, you'll see it clearly. If you ask the Holy Spirit to help you, you see it. You say, "Wait, this is this is better for me." It's not always from a between a good and a bad. Um, it's not always that. Sometimes you have two goods. But what is God's will in this? And I think that has helped me taking the time to reflect and really um, be in silence. You need some times in silence during the day to let the Holy Spirit. Uh, touch you and guide you to what is best. Uh, I think that's the only way I could say it. Right. Yeah, what a blessing. And I didn't learn. I entered the convent older at 32 years old. So I knew nothing about this. So that's why I was thinking of the children, giving them that foundation. And then as they grow and they're teenagers and they're they're adults, that's going to be such a benefit for them that I wish I would have had. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. It, the um, that examine of consciousness is uh, it's a way of letting the Holy Spirit show us what He sees in our life. And I found, you know, in the last well since 2008, that probably more than anything else in my life that is a source of hope and of consolation is letting you know the Holy Spirit show me what He sees. I mean, it, we make an examination of conscience, and and that's good as far as it goes, but we can, we're kind of famous for giving ourselves a report card, and that can actually be kind of d- distressing, and it's the easiest thing in the world to remember our failures or our slights or the things that caused us shame and guilt, but where I find that the Holy Spirit is remarkable is that he sees all the good, and I would forget those things, you know, a, a smile, a kind word, an insight that just came out of prayer, uh, something that was a little affirmation that I was in the right place at the right time. Uh, all the things that, you know, that were led by the Holy Spirit to be courageous, that he has a very gentle way. The devil is the accuser, and so he likes to just startle us and jar us and upset us, and that's his game, destroy our inner peace. God restores that inner peace, and he never seems to get tired. Uh, He seems always to be eminently joyful about cleaning up our messes and helping us, and I just think that as we let the Holy Spirit show us that, that kind of time in prayer that you do, Sister, uh, I usually do it at the end of the day, but I find that um, it allows me to go to bed with hope for tomorrow. It's not just the same old drudgery. It's just, you know, we're circling the drain and I'm, I'm tired of, no, that uh, it was a good day. I forgot a few things that made it a good day, but then I start to see with eyes of hope, with a heart that imagines the good that God has in store for us. And uh, we're pretty fragile. 
So they used to say that uh, psychologically, if one negative comment, if it gets back to us, somebody said something that was mean or maybe true, but even so it hurts, it takes 10 to 12 positive remarks to get us back to our equilibrium. We're just very frail that way. And, and I think there's another reason to, um, to really kind of cultivate that examine of consciousness, to, to spend some time each day with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and there's a little method, and Father Tim Gallagher teaches that too, where uh, it's, you know, it can be done in many different ways, uniquely you know, for each person. But anyway, it gives us a little way of kind of calling the Holy Spirit and uh, taking some time in silence. And uh, I find it remarkable every day. I mean, there always are things like, gosh, I forget all the good stuff, Lord. And remembering the sad things has a cumulative effect. I mean, that uh, over the course of many years, it's no wonder that we, um, you know, the strain and the stress and the anxiety, those things, we don't handle those too well. And the Holy Spirit, who is eminently joyful, I always think the Holy Spirit is is really like a, a little kid that's never been hurt by anything or anyone, so he's just full of hope. I mean, it's just... Uh, utterly unaffected by evil. It's like, what, you guys, don't you want an adventure? Aren't you having fun? I mean, come on. Put your hand, let's go. And uh, whether or not that's who he really is, but I get a sense that, um, you know, he's just full of that joy and uh, that we all need to um, to carry our crosses. Uh, so, sister, it's been delightful to talk to you, and uh, I hope that all of us... Uh, you know, feel like, well, what are those rules of discernment? How could those help me uh, to be a good parent, uh, to work at a job where, you know, maybe I'm missing some opportunities to share the gospel or, uh, you know, just to believe in the efficacy, the power of what God is doing in me. Sometimes we, uh, we forget that. So God bless you, sister. Happy New Year. Yeah, and thanks for calling in. Always good to hear your insights, Sister Elizabeth. Um, Talking with Father Sam Martin today about the Holy Spirit and having that better understanding how the Holy Spirit works in our life, uh, you can call in at 888-914-9149, One of the other things that we wanted to talk about, Father, is that uh, there's that Come Holy Spirit prayer that's quite familiar to many people who have been in the church for any period of time. But, you know, to be able to kind of analyze what are we really saying in that prayer, and we're going to have to take a break here in just a moment, but before we do, let's at least kind of start out at the beginning of that prayer. Um, if, if you're unfamiliar with the prayer, first of all, I'd say just look it up on the relevant radio app. Uh, if you go to the app, you'll see there's a little um, icon up in the upper right corner that says pray. And you'll find the Come Holy Spirit prayer under basic prayers there. Um, But the first line that we pray, Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your divine love. First of all, one of the things that strikes me is uh, we're inviting the Holy Spirit in. The Holy Spirit is waiting for us, it seems, to invite it to work in our lives. Right, I think, you know, the famous picture of, you know, like in the book of Revelation that Jesus knocks and he wants to come in and have supper with us, but uh, the, the picture shows a door without a, a doorknob so that God is very respectful, and he is eminently so. He's not pushy. Uh, he proposes, he teaches, but he imposes nothing that he has every right to. He is God, and, and you know, he made us, we belong to him. And he gives us commandments, but he, he leaves room for freedom that each person has to decide, and then you'll have to... You know, uh, your decisions affect, it's not what we do, it's who we become. And so uh, calling the Holy Spirit to come gives him permission. And he seems to require that. So respectful is he, 
that we say, come into my heart, come into my life, come into every aspect of my being so that I can you know, learn those gifts that you want to give. They used to say sin is a rejection of the good things God wants to give us. We settle for so little, and he would give us so much. So giving God permission, which I suppose on a certain level he wouldn't need, but he, it's his love, it's the way he treats us that, um, you know, come and see. Uh, he invites us, and then a reciprocal uh, relationship that we're to invite him to. So uh, there are times where I suppose, you know, like Saul on the road to Damascus, the Holy Spirit can, you know, knock a guy right off a horse, I guess. But um, typically uh, he prefers our fiat, like with Mary, be it done unto me according to thy word. And just like in Mary's case, she gave permission and the word became flesh, that the Holy Spirit leapt from heaven when the night was half past, as it says in the Book of Wisdom, and uh, and God lived among his people. Extraordinary. Uh, the greatest story ever told, as they say. And as we get older, I think we just find it more marvelous, like, gosh, Lord, how'd you come up with all this? So, Let's look at the next line, then. We're inviting the Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful. Kindle in them the fire of your divine love. You know, as as we talk about that, I mean, some of that's pretty, you know, understandable. We're asking for the Holy Spirit to come and to energize us with a supernatural, with a divine love. Um, I also find it interesting as we pray this prayer, it's a prayer that is not individual. It's the hearts, plural, of your faithful. Kindle in them the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created. Uh, This is one of those prayers where, uh, kind of like the Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. You know, forgive us. Uh, it, it, it's it's always interesting to me that so many of the prayers that we have in the church, these formal prayers that we'll pray, are done from a standpoint of the corporate church, not the individual believer. Yeah, there are just no lone rangers in the spiritual life. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be present. And uh, you know, this is the way that just because we're created in God's image and likeness is one God, but three persons. There just can't be love in a vacuum. So there's always this collective that, you know, that the Holy Spirit is, it's not just, and this is where people struggle with, I'm a spiritual but not religious. Well, that one can understand to some degree what they mean, and everybody is spiritual because we're all made by the same God, whether or not we recognize that or not. But the religious part is the the horizontal, that it's it's not going to be possible for us really to grow unless we love God and our neighbor. So there has to be this horizontal communion and it's uh, also the vertical communion. But like St. Therese of the Flowers, she would say, I don't know how well I love God. I mean, I hope I do, but whether or not I love my neighbor, well, I'm confronted with that every day. So they go hand in hand, that we can't have one without the other. And St. John writes about this, that the person that says that they love God and yet they, they you know, mistreat their fellow man is a liar. You know, it doesn't keep the commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. So uh, there has to be this uh, communal element uh, in our prayer that we pray People will say, oh, you're just praying for yourself. You just want to get to heaven. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we grow closer to God. I mean, it's, uh-huh. that's going to expand our heart. I mean, no right. one can be a friend of God without the love of God, that God loves all of his people. So this is where Mother Teresa would discover that, you know, and she would tell priests that weren't praying much. She said, listen, Father, you think you can love them without Jesus? That's impossible. You have to receive his love because some people are just difficult to love and uh, and our hearts just aren't expanded. So as we grow closer to the Lord, it's going to be manifest in the way we love his people, especially the people who 
are most marginalized, the people that may be most difficult. Christ in a distressing disguise is what Mother Teresa said, and so she'd pray four hours a day so she could love them. People say, well, if you pray less, you could do more work out there. She said, no, you don't understand. I can do nothing without him. And that's what Jesus said. You could do nothing without me. But you don't have to be without me, at least if you don't want to. So come, Holy Spirit. So the hearts of your faithful. It talks about fire, and fire is always an image of God. It, it stings, you know, when we're uh, living selfishly and, and have a divided heart. But eventually it purifies, refines, it, it sets us free. But anybody says that, oh, you go to church because it makes you feel good. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, many times it, it doesn't. It challenges me. It, it is a mirror to my limitations, but it helps me to be good. And just striving to become a better human being is such a source of happiness. It sure beats not trying, but sometimes we give up, we get discouraged, and the devil says it's futile. He's a liar, but uh, the demons of futility are alive and well, and they work on us uh, all the time. Talking about the Holy Spirit today with our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin, also taking your phone calls at 888-914-9149. We're going to continue looking at that Come Holy Spirit prayer coming up next here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Today we'd like to thank Heather, who's listening in Michigan, for donating her Honda. Join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles by visiting relevantradio.com slash car today. Talking today about the Holy Spirit with our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin, a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. I'm Josh Raymond, and thanks so much for joining us for this hour of The Inner Life. If you missed a portion of the program earlier, you can always go back and find the full episode. It'll be posted here a little after we're off the air at RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. And uh, also taking your calls at 888-914-9149. And Father had a caller who called in, couldn't hold, but was asking about the Come Holy Spirit prayer that we're going through. The part that says, fill the hearts of your faithful, and the caller said, shouldn't we be praying for the Holy Spirit to come into everyone's heart, not just the faithful? Well, I think that's true, but a thing is received according to the mode of the receiver, is what Thomas Aquinas said, so sometimes people aren't as receptive, so I I don't think that it means that anybody's excluded, God loves everybody, but he also knows that... um, you know, some seed falls on good soil, and some seed doesn't. And uh, he waits, he's patient, he's kind, he doesn't give up on anybody. But I suppose the prayer reflects that, you know, those who are ready, uh, come. And those who aren't, well, then, Lord, you know, and you probably have to wait. Take a rain check and, uh, you know, but that's, I think, you know, we obviously are praying, I mean, a preferential love of the churches for especially those who are most uh, uh, distant from God, those who are, you know, in tough places, it's a, a lonely life to not have a relationship with, with the Lord. I know people will claim that they're perfectly happy without Him, but that's just not possible. And um, I'm not going to tell people and insult them that well, you can't be happy, but uh, we are designed by God, and that's our hearts are restless until they rest in Him. So no one ever finds that a life without Him is all that gratifying. I mean, they, you have to spend a lot on entertainment and uh, things like that because, you know, without that communion with God, life is, um, you just kind of float along. So if you're closer to the Lord, you spend a lot less on entertainment, uh, it seems to me. so. It also, you know, comes to my mind, first things first, you know, I mean, if if someone is not 
a part of the church, if they haven't been baptized, then they haven't really come in through the doorway where then they can receive the Holy Spirit. Um, can the Holy Spirit work in their life? Obviously, yes. But as far as praying for the Holy Spirit to go beyond just that introduction into the church, that initiation through baptism, well, first things first. You've got to come in first, and then <laughs> you'll get all the benefits that come along with it, is you know, what, what comes to my mind as we're saying, well, you know, fill the hearts of your faithful versus fill the hearts of everyone. Yeah, it's clear the Lord himself, he, you know, where are you living, Lord? Come and see. You know, so there's an invitation, but there has to be a step. And uh, God never gives up, even if the invitation is rejected, which we see in many of his parables. You know, the people are too busy for the banquet, and somebody just got married, and somebody has some farm work to do, and they all have their excuses, but they're still invited. Many are called, few are chosen. So, uh, and, you know, the words of uh, consecration for the chalice, you know, that uh, the sins of many. Well, that's more accurate. I mean, it sounds like sometimes people go after you, like, he didn't die for everybody. He did. He did. Can he save everybody? Well, we'll find out. I mean, I, he can. But he won't save someone against their free will. So, I mean, if if you don't believe in free will, then I guess you can jettison hell because we don't have any choice. You can live however you want, and everybody goes to heaven. And there's a, a soft sense of thinking, I, you know, that's kind of rampant at times that, well, just everybody goes to heaven. Well, then nothing here matters. You can shoot and, and uh, maim and, and destroy life if you want, and it's all going to be the same on the other side. That's not a God we could worship and respect, you know. So we think that... Uh, there should be consequences in this life and in the life to come. So uh, that's what freedom is, is that God believes that we should have a choice. He wants us to make the right choice, but he gives us the space that if, you know, like with the apostles and the bread of life discourse, he teaches about the Eucharist, and unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, and he turns to them because lots of other people are getting up and walking away, and he said, do you guys want to leave too? And they don't. But look at how he respects our, he doesn't hold us against our will. He says the door has to be swing both ways, and he wants us to stay the truth. You shall know the truth, and it will set you free. If you leave the truth, then you're a captive. But he's setting captives free, and that's uh, all of us to some degree. So we don't not pray for the people that uh, have no faith, but in a way that you know we uh, that the prayer seems to reflect that for those who are ready, come. And those who aren't ready, well, uh, I guess, Lord, help them to get ready uh, in your own time and your own way. Looking at the last portion of the prayer, O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation. One of the things that stands out to me there, the Holy Spirit that instructed, guided, helped the faithful that went before us, those that are saints, those that are in heaven, the same Spirit is available for us. The same Holy Spirit can work in us and do the same amazing works, the same miracles. We have access to that same divine power and strength. That's one of the things that stands out to me. Yeah, I think sometimes people will say, why were there more miracles in the early church and less now? And maybe our faith, you know, that when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith in the world, you know, in in men's hearts? And maybe our faith uh, is just, you know, lacking. And so, that prayer can, you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I mean, the, the, the theological virtues come from God, and they lead us home to God. So in uh, acknowledging that there's no one that becomes holy on their own, that's a gift that is given, and uh, we become more or less receptive as we live. If we are living in sin, then our hearts are closed, but if we're repentant and we are sincere in our contrition, we are sorry about our sins, and 
the Holy Spirit will help us. And the beautiful words of uh, absolution that uh, God the Father mercies through the death and resurrection of his Son has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. I mean, there's so much healing that the Holy Spirit wants to do. And in that healing, we begin to see the world differently. When we're hurting, when we're sad, angry, uh, full of regret, shame, guilt, all those things that the evil one wants to use to pull us down, it's the Holy Spirit who is the the comforter, the, the consoler, the sanctifier. He's the one who starts the, the healing process. And it's amazing how, you know, when we're sad, what the world looks like versus we're at peace. When a good confession, it restores our our communion with God. It restores uh, the belief that he really does know me and care about me and uh, my sins have never caused him to give up on me. And, uh, you know, that sort of, um, you know, affirmation, that sort of love is so necessary for us. And who doesn't struggle with sin? You know, this side of eternity, we all do to some degree. And uh, it's the Holy Spirit then who, you know, he does come and and that uh, that fire of his love, I mean, it, does, it strengthens our hearts so that we're not so divided and um, and uh, we can continue, you know, we can persevere. I mean, that maybe is the hardest thing that we all have those moments of real faith, but uh, can you stay the course? You know, it's a lot of years out ahead of us and uh, one day at a time, give us this day our daily bread. But uh, we'll find that there, we go through things like I never thought I would have. Yeah, you never say never, but those things uh, God permits so we can be stretched for greater glory. So, uh, you know, that it was necessary for us to pass through many trials before entering the kingdom of God. That's the Acts of the Apostles. So the Holy Spirit will help us as we pass through those trials to have a smile, not to be bitter, resentful, sad. Uh, no, this is life. It just uh, whistle while we work, like the seven dwarves, you know, that uh, he's a good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and that that goes to that final line, to rejoice in the consolation that the Holy Spirit gives us. Uh, that uh, Father, we're just about out of time here, and there's so much more. I mean, we just scratched the surface, obviously, of all that we could have talked about regarding the Holy Spirit. Some of the titles we didn't even have a chance to talk about, like the Holy Spirit being uh, the advocate or the comforter, talking more about the consolation that's given to us. But... Uh, Maybe we can revisit this again in uh, the near future. In about the remaining 30 seconds here, Father, could I ask you to offer all of our listeners a blessing as we conclude the hour? May God bless, console, guide, and protect you now and all the days of your life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Father Sam Martin, our spiritual director, a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin, pastor of Holy Name of Jesus Parish. I want to say thank you to Nick Sentevich and to Maggie Groeschel for helping produce the program today. And of course, thank you for listening. And I want to encourage you to stay tuned. Mass coming up next. Father Rocky is the celebrant. And the faith explained after that. We'll, we'll see you back here on Monday. And we're going to talk about those obstacles that we face in the spiritual life, obstacles that we face in our time of prayer. How do we get past those? How do we overcome those obstacles? We'll have that conversation and see. See you back here on Monday. Have a blessed day.